welcome to episode 56 of Reading Between the Reels. I'm Craig Dickinson. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. If you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us. Send a tweet, post to Facebook, write a review on your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. And so far, you guys are doing a great job spreading that. I cannot thank you guys enough. Our last episode, the Lego Batman episode, just blew up. Uh, like four times as much as my previous episode. So thank you so much for that. Just please continue to spread the word. But today, today on the show, I am joined once again by Anthony King of Force Ghost Conversations. How's it going, Anthony? Craig, pleasure to be back on the show talking about a fantastic movie and congrats on your recent success. That's wonderful to hear. Thank you, sir. Uh, So yeah, today, the wonderful movie we're talking about is Willow from 1988. And I know this guy, Anthony, he's been all over social media and he's got a couple of shows out recently about Willow as well. So, Anthony, I'm going to start you off. Why don't you start with your overall thoughts on the movie Willow? Oh, yes. Willow is a film that just has a very, very warm place in my heart. It provides me with that hopeful spirit and just general belief in the hero's journey. Anyone can be a hero, no matter your size, where you come from, your background, all that. What matters most is your belief in yourself, your faith in your friends, and your ability overall to learn, grow, and and just adapt along the way. And that is at the heart of Willow. Awesome. I have to ask, before we move on too much farther, when was the first time you saw Willow? Because you, you're not old enough to have seen it in the theater. <laughs> no, no, I was. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, no, I haven't been able to see it in a theater. I saw it when I believe I was seven or eight. It was around the same time I saw Attack of the Clones. Um, my uncle showed it to me. Um, he was kind of my Obi-Wan Kenobi if I'm the Luke Skywalker, he was my Obi-Wan Kenobi through through uh, my my early years. He uh, got me into Star Wars and all that. And he certainly got me into to Willow as well. But I think I only saw it once as a kid because Willow, for some reason, is, it, it was not readily available back then. It was super hard to find it on physical media whether it be DVD, like I could never find a VHS or a DVD of it whatsoever. It was never on TV as like a rerun or something like that on TNT on an afternoon. It really wasn't until Disney Plus that it was on streaming um, once Disney acquired Lucasfilm and they finally got the ball rolling on the rights and all that stuff that I was able to watch it a lot more as an adult (laughs) and and really gravitate towards it again because I had wonderful fond memories of it as a kid, but Golly gee, if it wasn't for, uh, you know, the Star Wars DVDs and VHSs, like that was my bread and butter right there. That's that I watched those religiously. And if I would have had a physical copy of Willow, it would just be as equal in my viewing count as, as those other films. But, you know, because of that, I was I was unable to, to watch it. So now, thankfully, because of Disney Plus, I've been able to have it on in the background all the time or, or watch it consistently. Um, I have a great story of um, when the pandemic started. Uh, my wife and I actually got married in April of 2020. Um, so literally like two weeks after we wow. got sent home to lockdown, yeah. we had a, a small ceremony of of my wife, myself and uh, my friend who is, is an ordained minister and, and um, did a small ceremony for us on the National Mall here in D.C. Um, and basically that weekend, my wife and I just picked out movies and we just watched them together. It was our 
kind of quote unquote honeymoon at home, if you will. And uh, I think the first film that I picked for us to watch together was Willow. So uh, certainly a film that holds a, a very, very strong place in my heart and, and who I am overall. Well, that's amazing. Uh, I have a different story for Willow because I'm much <laughs> older than you. Um, yeah, I saw this in the theater. Nice. I, I would have been, I would have been 12 that summer. And, uh, the thing I remember most about it was this was the first film I ever saw an intermission with. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's really not that long. It's just a little over no, two hours. That that doesn't make sense. I'm yeah. intrigued. But it did. <laughs> Where it would did it be? One. I'm not sure exactly. I don't remember because I only saw it the one time in the theater. But mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I grew up a Star Wars fan. And so, you know, they put George Lucas's name on the front of this and I'm in. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I knew Val Kilmer from Top Gun. So I was in for that too. And then, you know, fantasy and all of that stuff. That's absolutely right up my alley. So I, I enjoyed it. I don't know if I gravitated toward it as much as some people did. I think it kind of, mm-hmm. it's, it's not one of my favorite movies, but I've always kind of have a soft spot in my heart for it. Yeah, it definitely has had a cult following over the years, maybe because of how unavailable it was. that <laughs> It had this like yeah. underground fandom. Uh, and now it's finally getting its, its day in the sun. And I can only hope that that translates to more people watching it uh, on Disney Plus when the new series comes out um, and then going back to check out the original. Yeah, definitely. Because there are some things with this film that I think hold up. I think the story is still really, really good. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned like the hero's journey and it's definitely one of those things that Lucas intentionally, you know, bringing that, you know, forward for a modern audience. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, it's the first time we get to see morphine, right? And there's that yes. great episode, you know, in light and magic about that episode five, uh, morphine with an F, right? Cause we've been spelling yes. it wrong this whole time. <laughs> um, which is interesting because that effect I think still holds up really well, but some Agreed. of the effects have aged poorly. Let's I would say the the brownies are probably the most standout. Yeah, the effect. brownies are pretty bad. Um, but at the time, uh, you know, yeah, the, at the they time. state of the art. Yeah, yeah, right. So you have to start somewhere. Like it's it's that trajectory of you have Willow, the Abyss, and it leads to Jurassic Park and T two. So, right. so <laughs> you thank have to you. you have to yeah exactly. Thank you to Willow, <laughs> the testing ground for ILM. <laughs> there we go. So uh, let's go ahead and and jump into cinematography. What did you notice? Composition, color, camera work, those kind of things. Well, I will say overall for the movie, and and, and this isn't really a knock to Ron Howard as the director or, or anything like that, but as far as I can tell, there isn't any like major innovations in camera work for this film that I that I, I got a sense of, right? It seems like your run of the mill film in terms of all that stuff. It's not like, you know, we, the last time I was on the, the podcast, we talked man of steel, which is certainly, it was a choice to be the, uh, the, the shaky camera, the documentary right. style of it all versus this is very much. So I, I would consider just your standard run of the mill camera techniques. It's at least as far as I, I could tell in, in my watches, I don't necessarily see anything that's avant-garde or attempts to be avant-garde. Um, the color, you know, it, it kind of runs the mill uh, of all the things. You got very dark darks and and uh, the, the the woods itself, and and of course uh, some some hues um, as well in the midst of that. But the thing that stands out to me a lot of of the cinematography of this film is is there are really gorgeous matte paintings <laughs> all throughout this movie. Like if this is predating Jackson's 
trilogy, his Lord of the Rings trilogy. You gotta remember too, this is basically George Lucas's Lord of the Rings. Yes. <laughs> um, so this is, in a way, I like to think it. it I think that a, you know a younger Peter Jackson saw this and got inspired for his eventual what he will take on and use basically New Zealand as the backdrop, but all these wonderful map paintings really do do a great job of uh, showing the, the vast scenery of, uh, of a mother world as, as uh, this universe is dubbed. (laughs) Yeah. I noticed that too. There are some kind of very wide shots of walking. Yes. Right. Cause it's a journey. Lots of walking, lots of walking, (laughs) which, you know, think about like clerks too, right. It's a lot of walking. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and, and I did, I got that too. I was like, man, that kind of feels like Lord of the Rings or more accurately, Lord of the Rings probably feels more like that. It does. I'm like, this is kind of like the quest movie. This is what you do when you're traveling these long distances. Um, this is the way you, you would set up these shots. And there's one like from below looking up on that or walking across a little bridge and like, wow, oh that, my gosh, that's it feels great. right out of Peter Jackson's trilogy. I know. Right. Might as well just, if you were, if you were to post that image on, let's say the internet these days without any context, someone might come along and say, is that Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Like, no, it's actually Willow. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Some things I did notice this time that I I hadn't noticed before is the wipes, Mm. which I'm going to put under cinematography. Mm. You don't really have an editing section per se. Um, But it was interesting because I don't know, 40% of them are Star Wars wipes. I was going to say very Lucasian. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah, very much. And then some of them are just like the traditional fade ins, which mm. is which is weird. And so I was looking for for trends on that. And the first couple of them are have to do with Burgle Cut. Like when he calls for Von Carr, <laughs> there's that Star Wars wipe. And then after the baby pukes on him, uh, there's also another wipe. You're but right. It, it's he's it, but I was like, I mean, is this just a burgle cut thing? And then no, it actually happens a few other times. And I was like, there's quite a few throughout the film, and then it's a fade in. So I'm like, okay, so we've got you know, there's a couple of different editors, which is interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. So we've got yeah, we got Daniel P. Halt, uh, Hanley, and Mike Hill who worked with Ron Howard on several things like Splash and Cocoon, mm. Backdraft, and whatnot. Um, and then and also one for a beautiful oh for Apollo 13 actually. So, and they have that. And then you also have Richard Hiscott, who has done much less, he, like Murder on the Orient Express from 1974 is like his <laughs> big claim to fame. So I don't know who's responsible for each of those, but it feels like maybe like there is two different parties kind of competing mm. for how they're going to do the editing. So maybe that's the story. And you never know. George might have been in the editing bay saying, do this. Yeah. <laughs> let's George see how that works. Do one of those. Yeah. yeah he's walking yeah. through. Let's do one of those in. Yeah. I, yeah, I could see that works. too. <laughs> So that was my, my favorite thing I noticed this time. I'm like, oh, it's like Star Wars. And then now it's not. So that was weird. That's a really great catch. I mean, maybe I've gotten to the point where I've seen so much Star Wars that it's just like, I don't even think anymore about the wipes. So yeah. that's great to great to, to point that out there. Well, I have a there's a book, Star Wars by the Numbers or something like that, that has actually counts the wipes in like the first six movies, which is pretty fun because there's a whole lot more in Revenge of the Sith. Now, Ooh, that's a oh rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to talk about color. I'm going to transition it. Total not segue uh, into color and that uh, the biggest thing I noticed with this is that most of the humans are daikini, actually, mm-hmm. right? In this mm-hmm. universe uh, are wearing kind of muted earth tones, mm. but yeah. you see a lot more bright and vibrant colors in the Nelwyn village, Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I read as they're kind of more in harmony with nature. Mm. They're more yeah. alive, right? And you also have, uh, there's a very red color 
in uh, Bab Mortis, when Bab Mortis spell happens at the end, that's the next. I mean, we know Red and Lucas and Rage and all of that stuff, which is very uh, stands out very much. Absolutely, and that certainly is a choice along the way to um, to highlight those, right? Uh, and you got to think too; it's in- definitely inspired by the Tolkien lore of it all. Um, you have to think that the Nelwins are certainly Lucas's versions of hobbits. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, certainly people uh, a, a a group of people that are in in more connected to uh, the earth. And of course, Willow's a farmer at the beginning. Uh, so yeah, and he, all he cares about is tending to his crop later on. I got to get home to my crops and <laughs> all that stuff. So yeah. Um, whereas the Daikini are waging war on each other. So they're, they're living a peaceful life. Whereas Daikini are not necessarily and that can, you know, the contrast between the, the light and dark there. Yeah. Uh, one other just, kind of random thing that I noticed this time uh, is that when when General Kale is introduced, um, first off, he's a gigantic guy, which is oh, amazing. Yeah. And we'll oh, yeah. talk about it when we get to the characters. Um, well, he, he's introduced, he comes in and you have, I'm not sure who the one guy is who works for Bev Morta, but she's, he's standing next to her, Bev Morta's there, and then Sorsha and Kale, and they're all kind of standing in a semicircle, almost like they're, like it's a play, the way it's mm-hmm. staged, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? <laughs> Where you're like, you make sure you don't turn your back to the audience. It's kind of a strange <laughs> semi, the way they're doing it. Cause yeah, can, how, they're, how they're lined up there, basically. Yeah, in his introduction, and like the biggest thing you get from that is that Kale's like three feet taller, or feels like he is more than Sorsha, but I was just and like, that. And is he, I believe he's wearing the, the skull mask in that, in that moment too, which I mean, um, I was going to bring this up in the costumes portion later on, but I mean, in a post masters of the universe, uh, uh, world in the eighties, their late eighties, right? Like this is the perfect just depiction of a villain for this era. <laughs> yeah. It's on the nose, but it works. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, I mean, just like Vader, Vader's very clear about, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had one last thing too. Uh, there is a Dutch angle because I love Dutch angles and pulling them out. When Ooh. Mad Mardigan's watching Willow and Migash eat when he's sitting uh. in the crow's cage. So that's just fun to see. You know, he's, yeah, he's in a bad place. And <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he's hoping for more. <laughs> All right. Uh, what about sound? Let's go ahead and transition down to sound. What do you have for effects, soundtrack, vocal sounds, any of those things? Well, again, this is the bane of my existence is tracking down the score of this film. <laughs> I absolutely love James Horner's work on this movie. It may be the most underrated score right now in cinema history because it's just, it's hard to find. Um, the only way you can really find it if you want it on vinyl is through a, th- a third-party site like eBay, which is, Prices go up. I have been caught in many bidding wars on that site. And as soon as it hits over $100, I bow out (laughs) because you never know. You know, vinyl records could be scratched and all that stuff. You never know the condition. And frankly, when you buy from eBay, I've learned from past experiences that uh, it usually doesn't work out in the end sometimes. (laughs) So overall, I think that the score is great. It's, It's absolutely what it needs to be for this film. It is an action adventure serial at heart and the theme of it all has to match that. So the Willow theme overall, which you can find on your streaming services, that's basically the only song you can find from this score. Um, it just, it gets caught in your head. It's catchy. Um, I don't want to sing all of it because you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get caught uh, on the, uh, the rights of it all, but it is just, it's, it, 
it's an adventurous theme. It's up there with Indiana Jones, right? It's that same type of driving force that you want to have in the background that puts a smile on your face as you're watching these extravagant adventure set pieces. Um, there's also some very, you know, I guess dramatic tones as, as they're going throughout. Um, of course, there's some like some warm heartfelt themes, especially with Willow and his family early on. Um, and those really, really stick with me overall. The soundtrack for this film is definitely, definitely underrated. Overall, there aren't too many sound effects overall that I can that really stand out to me. I'm sure there's a Wilhelm scream or two in this movie. <laughs> I, got, I counted three. I, was, I, was, I think there's a yeah. few in there. Yeah, good, kind of, yeah. good counting there. Um, the thing that always haunts my dreams, though, is the pig sequence. All those pig squeals, not just the look of it all, but the sound is also something that that uh, has caused many a nightmare for me over the years. Even after only seeing it a few times as a kid, I'm like, oh, God, I better do my chores or else I get turned into a pig. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, it's one of the lessons I took away from this as a kid is, is be nice to your parents. <laughs> nice. um, but uh, yeah, that's the, the pig sequence is really the, the main sound effect that I take away from this movie. And of course, the, the incredible score I I would love to know the exact specific tracks of this movie like I was able to pull out for Man of Steel. But again, it's, it's a hard one to find. I would love to find it. <laughs> yeah, I found a few things. Um, just real quick about the pigs. So that was one thing my daughter, I mentioned when I was doing that uh, Willow tonight. She's like, yeah, that's the movie with the pigs. I don't like that. So that's like, it's it is terrifying. a thing that grabs. Oh, yeah. I remember it being scary as a kid, too. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a couple of tracks I was able to track down. Allura Dannon's theme, which mm. plays at the beginning. Uh, where you kind of have that choral music, yes, uh, yep, which is is beautiful, and then you have this kind of call and response with these low horns. And the thing that's interesting with this to me is that James Horner is, admittedly, rest in peace, James Horner, uh, was a guy who would reuse certain things and adapt mm. things from other people. And the low horn section sounds so much like the stuff he used for Avatar, mm. when especially like when home tree crashes hmm. like there it's Good a very point. melancholy and i was like list this time listening to willow i was like hey that's from avatar and of course avatar is actually going to be our next episode i'm like hey that's the thing from willow that's great <laughs> but like they're like cousins of each other you now there's a lot of similarities there um of course you mentioned willow's theme which is used repeatedly through just this great triumphant upbeat horns oh, yeah. you know it'll be stuck in your head catchy. forever yep <laughs> so good and like it, it's adventure right there like you know uh, you have some very festive diegetic music at the Nelwyn Fair. That's mm-hmm. fun. We get to see the yep. instruments and see them play that. Uh, the thing I noticed this time I don't think I'd ever noticed or knew what it was, was when they get to the island where Finn Rizel is waiting, there's pan flute. Ooh. That's the only time you get to hear it. I was like, oh, is this a new light motif? And really, that's the only time you get to hear it. So I'm not sure what the track is called, if it's a Finn Rizel intro or whatnot, but it's an interesting choice. Uh, it always makes me think of the Karate Kid, though, when I hear pan flute, even though yeah, it's it, it, not that, an That's the first thing that comes to my mind, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a strange thing. Uh, and then for vocal sounds, the only thing I really had was Sherlandria has that really echoey voice. They put like the reverb on hmm. her. Yeah, they were definitely, uh, or I should say, uh, Galadriel later will be inspired by Sherlandria. <laughs> yes. Well, we talk about, you know, the hero's journey and like, it's good. We can drop it stuff in whatever, but like there is, you know, the meeting with the goddess. That's that section yeah. there, right? Where he Absolutely. gets a uh, gets a, a wand from her, much like you know, Galadriel passes out 
gifts to the fellowship as well. So yeah, there's a lot of Lord of the Rings in this movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And that, I'm okay with that. As a, as a lover of Tolkien, all things Tolkien, uh, I will never say no to George Lucas's interpretations of that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Which of course, I mean, Tolkien borrowed from other people too. So that's, we're all borrowing. We're and all just borrowing, right? That's, yeah. Isn't that what all, all stories are? It's just reinterpreting stories and myths for a larger audience. <laughs> that's what Joseph Campbell would say. So what, yeah, I'm going with Campbell that. Campbell would say and what his greatest student Lucas would say. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, anything else for sound before we move down to performance? Let's head on to performance. Cool. Jump. Go ahead and uh, start us off. What do, you, what do you got for performance? Well, again, uh, unfortunately, I don't think that there's like an Academy Award level performance from this movie. <laughs> um, however, there are some some great moments of just general acting in this movie. I, I love just overall work Davis's work in this movie. I mean, I believe he's only like 16 or 17 during the filming of this, which is, which is absolutely mind boggling and astonishing yeah. that he's able to be a lead in this film, in this movie and carry it all the way through. Honestly, does he have any other acting on his resume up to this point other than wicket? And I don't, the, I don't think so. I don't think he does either. So nothing like, at this level for sure. This is a very big opportunity for him that I think he steps up to the occasion for. I mean, a movie's only as good as their main lead, let's be honest. And yeah. the fact that we're sitting here talking about it all these years later is pretty, uh, it's astounding what he's able to pull off here. I think Mad Mardigan is, is uh, Val Kilmer is really has uh, the most gravitas, I would say. Of course, this is a archetypal character, right? It's almost the Han Solo of, of this, uh, of this series. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I think the, you know, the, the, the comparisons are on, on the mark for, for both of them. Uh, this, this swashbuckler, am I, who am I? I don't have a banner, right? I, I fight for myself and then becomes part of the journey and fights and fights for good at the end of the day, makes a choice to fight for good. Val Kilmer adds, uh, adds this, um, not only that, but he has this great comedic touch to it, too. I love when he uh, is kind of hiding in the bar or the, ta- I guess, a tavern. And uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. the character Ludd, I believe, comes up to him, tries to flirt with him a bit. And uh, <laughs> there's some great comedic moments between the two of them there. Um, Sorsha, I think, is 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 a really great character as well. Um, and I think, honestly, Queen Bab Morda is terrifying. So yeah. the portrayal there is certainly on point, right? It's it's very much I the only thing that I can think of image like they were spot on with the imagery of almost depicting the evil queen uh from from Disney lore which I think is is probably smart. You don't want to, you know, confuse the audience there. It's very clear this is this is a bad person, right? Uh, and just the menace behind her and that performance too. Like there's there's no good whatsoever that I can sense in that person. Um, so those are kind of some of the, the main acting performances. They have their moments of, of drama, some comedy, um, definitely some, some, some melodramatic. They're kind of going all over the scale there, but again, that's not like anyone's going to be nominated for anything at the end of the day for this movie. <laughs> yeah. Nobody, nobody stands out as doing too much or too little. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not like, uh, again, we go back to man of steel. It's not Michael Shannon, uh, as general Zod. Yeah clearly being on a different level from everyone else. Right. It's not Alan Rickman in, in Prince of Thieves. 100%. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that you brought up the Bab Mortis costume because I had that as well. And I've 
that was pointed out to me when I was a little kid. It's like, it looks like, you know, the evil queen in Snow White. It's very yeah. reminiscent of that and very intentional. Like, this is a fairy tale. There's evil queen. I love that. Uh, my favorite thing about the performances is how good the baby is and that they use it. Well, yeah. the babies, because it's twins. Yeah, I'm sure, is, yeah. <laughs> is so, yeah, the eyebrows and the eyes and just so... <laughs> Yeah, just it's emotes like all over the place. They can show mm. the reaction shots they keep going back to watch the baby that doesn't believe Mad Mardigan, you know, those kind of things uh, is amazing. Uh, I did want to ask um, before we get too far into facial expressions and whatnot, do you have favorite lines? Any favorite lines of dialogue from this film? Because I have well, a handful. <laughs> the ironic thing is like my favorite lines of this film are mostly comedic bits. <laughs> and for some reason, they mostly all come from the, like the high Aldwin. <laughs> when yes. I literally, I mean, there's an alternate reality here where I started this podcast and said, praise the bones. <laughs> what does that mean? I have no idea. No. He's like, I must consult the bones. Another favorite line of mine. And he's like, the bones tell me nothing. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, when uh, Will and, and his wife, uh, come into the council holding Laura Dannon and the the crowd is chanting in throw him into the pit into the pit into the pit and they just start walking back yeah. <laughs> um that at, those are kind of like the things of course I how could I forget the classic line of uh paying off later when he's Mad Morgan's like I'm a great swordsman and then in the escape sequence amongst the the snow at the camp when uh he actually gets to show off some of his sword fighting skills and Willow says, you are great. And then of course yeah. he slips in the snow. I mean, yeah. It writes itself. I love the the physical comedy of this film. And of course the intentional comedy too. I mean, we've talked a little bit about Burgle cut getting uh, some bird poop in his face and getting puked on. It's all up there. Yeah. Um, there are some other moments too, uh, specific dialogue where Willow like questions himself. He's like, I'm not great. And then and the, usually that's just me and my eternal, uh, pushback on it. It's like, no, you are great. <laughs> Believe in yourself. It's all right there, man. You of anybody can do this. Um, yeah. So those are the the main ones that, that kind of stick out for me across this film. Nice. Yeah. I think most of the ones I had written down were, were funny ones too. But the first one I wrote down was where Willow said, when they meet, meet Alora Dannon for the first time and he meets her actually, he says, mm. absolutely under no condition mm. is anyone in this family to fall in love with that baby. And then, of course, the high one asked him later, do you have any love for this baby? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Another, <laughs> another high one line, uh, go in the direction the bird is flying. And mm -hmm. go, it's going back to the village. It's Ignore the bird. The Follow the river. river. <laughs> <laughs> like, and you guys are following this guy. He's just making it up as he goes. Oh, if only we could all have the same job as the high one. <laughs> yeah. That man gets along, but just fine. <laughs> so good um i'm gonna the last one i'm gonna pull out there's a great exchange between willow and mad martigan where he's feeding her black root and willow says black root i'm the father of two children you never ever even you never do black that. root nope. he says well my mother raises on it it's good for you it puts hair on your chest right sticks he says her name's not sticks she's a lord dan and the future empress of tiraz lean and the last thing she's gonna want is a hairy chest <laughs> um that's so great there's good. a little it's an it's an underrated a lot of underrated comedy bits in this movie that you know it's they keep you keep coming back to watching this film there's always something new that you find out yeah the i will two say of them the one thing great. that i don't like in this film um is the continue like 
putting down of, of Willow and, and the, the Nell ones by calling them pecs. I, I yeah. don't like that. That is, uh, so it's not kind. It's not kind. I think it's one of the messages of this film is to be kind to people. And that's one instance of people not being kind to others. That is part of Mad Mardigan's arc in this movie. So, yeah. I mean, that's unfortunately, that's another line that just gets stuck. I don't mean to quote it, but it just gets stuck in my head that, you know, get out of the way, Peck. Yeah. Is, you know, it's wow. OK, but it, it's it solidifies very quickly the relationship between the Daikini and the Nelwyn, right? Mm-hmm. He's basically trash in the road that you're just an obstacle for me. I, yeah, I don't care about you or your problems, even if that, you know, that's a Daikini baby for crying out loud. It really is. Well, yeah. that same guy later puts him on his back as, as he gets trouble walking through the snow later on. So yeah, the journeys are just beginning. Yeah. So, um, any, th- I mentioned a little bit with body language, Laura Dannon's eyebrows and her smile and her kind of looking at Mad Mardigan like she doesn't believe him. Anything else that you had for body language or facial expressions that jumped out to you on this viewing? Nothing else in body language or facial expression. I do have some words to say about costumes, hair, and makeup, though. Let's do it. Willow's hair is exquisite. <laughs> that is a great mane of hair. Yeah. It's it's so eighties. It's it's like a mullet. It's feathered back. It it's it's all over the place. It is just majestic as it flows through the wind on their journeys. Uh, I I'm impressed. <laughs> that is that is a wonderful. I wonder if I it, it must be a wig. I I don't think Warwick Davis is growing that mane, but maybe he did. So uh-huh. I I would love to know that little bit of trivia there. Um, that's excellent. Mad Mardigan, of course, too. It's got a Got some Legolas hair growing there, just just darker color. Um, that's that's <laughs> I like that too. He's got some braids going through there. That's that's really cool. Um, Eric too uh, also has a nice uh, whatever flowy locks of the gold locks he's got going there too. That's really great. The costume of the trolls I think is really special. Um, it kind of subverts the expectations of, I guess maybe so because I have. I saw Lord of the Rings first, which maybe influences my viewing of, of this, where it's like, I see a troll, I think Peter Jackson's trolls, versus the trolls in this iteration are almost like guys in suits, basically, that I can tell. Um, they're almost just like, kind of like gorillas in a way. It's, yeah. just, it's a really different take on it. Um, and of course, we've already talked a little bit about General Kale, the the very cool skull mask and all that very larger than life villainous figure. Um, again, in a post uh, masters of the universe, Skeletor, He-Man era, this is a late eighties villain uh, to the T um, that I think that's just a really cool character design. And uh, uh, maybe uh, I'd like to see him return if there's some way possible. I know he has a pretty, f- I think he has a pretty final uh, ending in the end of this movie, but you know, Characters never really end, do they? <laughs> We've seen Maul come back. We can it's see fantasy. General Kale come yeah. back. It's exactly it's fantasy. <laughs> one thing I noticed this time uh, was Sorsha's outfit, and it felt mm. to me very clearly inspired by like Eastern Asia, like Chinese, like almost right out of like the Mulan movie. Yeah, I, I like the, really like the helmet too. Really, yeah, uh, gets that's that the main going, thing. Yeah. The helmet, yeah. Which I was like, okay, well, this is. Because we're not really given a location like it's not, you know, as much as Lord of the Rings is kind of a ancient history of 
of Europe, right? This is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is a lot more multicultural mm-hmm. yep. as far as like the, you see different ethnicities and whatnot th- throughout this through this film. So it's kind of interesting they're kind of pulling in all these different influences that aren't just strictly European ones. I thought that was a kind exactly of interesting choice. Um, one more too. I just remembered this one. I, well, I didn't put it in my notes, but whatever Mad Morgan puts on at Tiraslene, that whole outfit, he's got that. <laughs> funky helmet going on with oh my gosh the, he went full on uh, in terms of going to that uh, armory and putting everything on he possibly could to, <laughs> to defend <laughs> that castle um i'm just like wow man you you thought you were going out here and you thought you were going out in style that's for sure <laughs> yeah i think that's how the action figure was was clothed was clothed so that made sense i was like oh that's the thing from the action figure I remember. that's right that that yeah. does that does sound like it'd be something up lucas's alley to have different uh, outfit changes there you go the there you go <laughs> we should also mention um willow's clothes that he you know we mentioned kind of the muted colors earlier his is very in it what's great now because you actually get to see it in high definition or ultra mm-hmm. high definition now that like the color the bright blue and red yeah, that blue just pops so mm-hmm. clearly like he is very important even out, outside of the no one who are also kind of you know in, in different primary colors and whatnot but he stands out dramatically you know he's the hero of the oh of yeah the show. yeah that plus the hair winning combo <laughs> <laughs> that's right don't forget the hair that's right <laughs> uh anything else for performance before we move on uh i think that covers it all okay all right, so uh, setting and design. My my favorite thing about locations, I'm just going to throw this in right away, is that I found out later, I wish I would have known this when I was a kid, that some of the waterfall scenes were shot in Bernie Falls, which is in Northern California, like an hour oh, northwest you know? of where I'm from. So I could have gone to a Willow shooting location at any point. I don't live there now, but that's kind of cool. Whew, I think it might be worth a, a field trip in the future. Uh, I think so. Uh, wow, I, di- I didn't know... Um, any, I, I wasn't aware previously of any of the like onset potential filming locations that they did for this movie. Um, I guess at this point in time, I was assuming it was just like a, a blue screen with the with the map paintings and all that stuff, or a, a pine wood or something like that. Um, if anything, I'd have assumed London or England um, somewhere around there, because um, yeah, that, that makes sense though, because um, yeah. you know, of course, Lucasfilm being based in in Marin County and all that, so. Um, yeah, yeah, and some, some stuff shot at Skywalker Ranch, around Skywalker Ranch, which makes sense. I know they wanted to do some more, kind of like they did with Return of the Jedi, and just go drive up the road and do... <laughs> Here's Endor. Do it all up planet. there, frankly. There you go. But yeah, there are some in, in England at Elstree Studios, and, and then some in Wales and, and in New Zealand. So that's where you have, mm. have Mortis Castle. So you do have, again, kind of going back to that Lord of the Rings you know, Really? Nakmar was down there in New Zealand? <laughs> Apparently. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I, that's really one of my notes is like, Akmar just it it has that vibe of 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 the Jackson films um, with the mountains in the background plus the debris and all that stuff and and then the look of the the field around it. Oof, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just overall love. I'm a I'm a high fantasy guy first and foremost. Like that's really what gets me into the series whatsoever. And the the imagery of like the Tiraslin Castle is really great. That's a great set design. I personally really love the Nelwyn village overall, both Willow's very cozy 
home, <laughs> uh, yeah. his farm, the, the, the lake that seems to be very, or river that seems to be very close to it. The, just the general village where they're having this uh, party. Uh, I don't I remember the exact circumstances for the party. If they're just having just a general celebration uh, or is it tied to the high Aldwin's picking of a potential um, companion? Um, that whole just it just it exudes that Bilbo party scene from uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. So again, it just is like ah oh, more of this. I love it. <laughs> um, I also really like the tavern sequence, of course. Too, I think that's just you know it. You have to make these comparisons to Star Wars because they're very similar in in structure and all that stuff. So of course the cantina scenes, right? The, the scum of hive and villainy. So that's where. Uh, you have these very similar archetypal characters that you meet up in these places. And it, it lines up with like, if you go to England and stuff like that, where you see some of these very uh, medieval places still that exist. And um, it, it's very reminiscent of that. Um, and finally, Knockmar Castle is, is absolutely terrifying. So it does a great job of doing what it's supposed to do is be the lair of the villain. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they did a great job, I think, overall with the uh, just general set design of all this stuff. Um, and again, we've already uh, talked extensively about how great the map paintings are in this. In this, that really set the stage for this high fantasy epic. Yeah, and speaking of of, of the castle in Nakmar, what's what's the deal with those spikes in Babmortis' little room there? Like, other than <laughs> a possible place to impale your daughter, like, did they have another purpose? I'm not sure. But uh, uh, well, it comes in pretty convenient during that scene. If you ever need to impale anybody, that's right. <laughs> it's right there. Um, I really like the prison at the beginning too. I'm glad you mentioned the the mm. the, the, the bar or the the tavern rather. Uh, but that that dank rotting prison, you could almost smell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great point. Yeah, you know, that's the, right. You part can, of you that's can lighting s- too. I think that's yeah. right. You can smell it off the yeah. screen. <laughs> yeah. That that felt like a real prison to me. So I know that's a mm. set, but that's I, I thought it was it was pretty effective. Mm, absolutely absolutely yeah it's just same same way as i, I feel coziness at at uh, willow's home I, mm-hmm. I got that same feeling as well yeah great point yeah. so as far as props go um one thing that i always find interesting is they have that like the little baby raft and so you kind of get mm. bringing another like it's like little moses you know it's yes, very much yep, that exactly. too so you're yep. bringing in other you know other mythologies and other um ancient archetypes as well so that's kind of a cool little extra thing other than just you know traditional hero's journey or fantasy things Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the magic trick with the pig. Uh, I love that that's foreshadowing that we get the payoff from that. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's Willow trusting himself at the end, right? It's what he knows. That's I love it. Yeah. That's a great point. It's full Absolutely. circle. Self-confidence at the end yep. of the day. <laughs> um, the prop that I really love the most and uh, I'm tempted almost every day to buy it. You can literally buy a replica of, of Sheryl Andrea's wand uh, on Shop Disney right now. And I just love the design of it all because I think um, a lot of us are probably inspired by Harry Potter when it comes to the wand. Like they have a, they've cornered the market on what wands look like these days. And when you see a wand that looks vastly different, it kind of stands out. So props to... Um, the the whole design team of willow by creating this wand that almost doesn't look like a wand right it's like Mm -hmm. um you wouldn't know it's a wand 
uh, it doesn't stand out, right? It doesn't have that same features that you would think, like you would think of one, like a very straightforward or very elegant stuff. Like that. it almost looks like a twig that you picked off of a, a, like a tree branch, right? I think it's the same kind of thought process around like the cup of the carpenter um, and uh, last crusade, right? It's the one that you wouldn't necessarily pick out, but it's the one that makes the most sense um, because a wand is, is such a, a magical force of, of power that it should be in the hands of the right person. Otherwise, if it's in the hands of an evil person, then who knows the the lengths they could go to with that. And uh, I think that's just a, a really neat uh, tip of the iceberg story bit there. Yeah, I love that you brought that up, too, because seeing just brief glimpses of that in the trailer for the new show, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that's the wand. Like, yeah. I immediately recognize it because the design is so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now he's upgraded to a staff, too, which... It's almost like a flamethrower. I don't I don't know how this works, but that's probably like the most intriguing thing I've seen of the trailer thus far. <laughs> there you go. Nice. So uh, anything else on setting and design before we talk a little bit more about characters? No, let's just jump into these guys. All right. So, uh, you know, the first thing I had was, and you already brought it up, which I'm glad you did, that Warwick Davis was like 17, 16, 17, which I, it still blows my mind. I mean, I With I was, two kids. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, but I was reading something. He was like nominated for like some best young performer or something I'm like wait a minute isn't he old because he's like a dad no no he's not it just blows he my mind like he pulls it off without even skipping a beat you don't think twice about it you just no. accept it you're just like yeah he's a dad yeah <laughs> my biggest question with this uh, joanne wally is uh she's english so why mm-hmm. is she not doing the english i would have i think i would have liked to yeah. hear the english accent rather than the american i mean she pulls it off it's not yeah. like it's unconvincing but like english accents are just cool you would think so, and you would honestly. It's it's maybe has something to do with uh, the the Nakmar people. Maybe yeah. something along that lines that they don't have that accent. Um, I'm trying to think, like Star Wars, usually it's the Imperials that have the the <laughs> right. the, the king's accent. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think through. Are there many characters that have, if any, an English accent in Willow? Uh, overall i can't i don't think, think they do. of any that do yeah so maybe they just wanted to be consistent and yeah i'm uh, guessing that's everyone's what everyone's got a, a american english accent <laughs> yeah because gene marsh who plays bad morning doesn't have an english accent although mm-hmm. i bet she could pull it off if she wanted to i'm but sure they all could that's just yeah. the direction they went with which is, i know i mean i know bell kimmer could do one i was gonna say certainly work davis could too <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> um so let's see we have billy barty as the high alden we haven't talked about him yet He's amazing, of course. Kind of he, just... he really is. Praise the bones. <laughs> I'm wondering if any of that's ad-libbed, because I could totally see that happening. I, ho- I hope it is. Yeah. I hope it is. I hope it's just as much as, like, in the lore, like, as, you know, Aragorn kicking the, or v- Viggo Mortensen kicking the, uh, the the helmet and breaking yep. his toe and then screaming, right? We're t- adverse yeah. to that, right? A, a super comedic moment that doesn't make any sense, that is yeah. like, that works. Leave it in. It's <laughs> yep, leave it in. That's right. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention earlier, um, Finn Rizal, uh played by Patricia Hayes, at that last battle that they have, I should have brought this up, she's basically in white. She's kind of an off-white mm, color. Yep, and yep. Bad Boy is in black, black. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's, in case you weren't aware who was good and who was bad, like, there it is. Uh, Pat Roach as Kale. Pat Roach, of course, had been in the first three Indiana Jones movies mm-hmm. and died in each of them, uh, which is fun. Gets a bigger part, gets a speaking part now, which is fun. My favorite bit of trivia about this, though, is that and um, 
do you know this? Where, where his name came from? Oh, no, go ahead. Okay. So, uh, film critic Pauline Kale, who was notoriously like not a fan of Star Wars. Oh, okay. Uh, and so, and also the, the, uh, the big two headed monster, that's, that's the Ebersisk, which is named mm, for Siskel yeah. and Ebert. And they both gave this film two thumbs down. Um, so that's kind of like taking shots across the bow at a couple of, of like three critics for those characters. So that's hey, I like it. I like it. And it canonizes them too. So <laughs> I'm sure they, they love the tongue and cheekness of it all too. Yeah. And I, there was a quote by Pauline Kale that she was like, yeah, this is an homage to me. I, I get that. And that's kind of fun. That's fun. I would have assumed it's just a hatred of, uh, of, of a certain type of lettuce. So <laughs> What's well, a cool name in the way it's even, it's even it really spelled is. cool too. So it's like, it works. <laughs> it, it fits the the whole design of the character too. It's right up there with Vader. <laughs> so. Yeah. Right on. Um, another fun bit of trivia, Gavin O'Harely. I think I'm saying the last name, right? Uh, he was the one who played Richie Cunningham's brother, Chuck on like the first few episodes of happy days. And so oh, that's going to be a union of for Ron Howard. Yeah. It's kind of like throwing him a bone or bringing him. Absolutely. In. Yeah. Although I didn't see Ron Howard's brother in this movie. Shouldn't he be in this no, movie? No, no. I didn't see Clint at all. Um, no, uh, the sequel, the, the series, you know, there's still hope. <laughs> that's true. Maybe he'll show up there. So he didn't have his actual brother. He had his fake brother. And maybe that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the trade-off. Uh, yeah, I've always loved Kevin Pollack. Uh, and I think this was the first thing I ever saw him in. Uh, he plays Rule, one of the brownies. Yep. Him and Rick Overton both are just hilarious. <laughs> Even though the effects don't quite work, the jokes still work for me. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, they are the much needed uh, comedic effects, like the C3PO R2D2 uh, yeah. of, of this of this ragtag group. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, the only other thing I had left was that Migosh is basically Samwise. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was. That was basically what I was all gonna just gush about in this in this portion is um, how great Migosh is. Right. Yeah. He is um, the friend that that stays true to. To, he's loyal to his to his buddy. He knows, right? He knows what's right and wrong. And when there's the pressure or what makes it seem easy, right? The dark side path of dropping the kid off and 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 leaving, right? There's that inner turmoil within him that says, "Like this isn't right, Willow. We shouldn't do this." Mm-hmm. And I just love that. I love that about a character that's willing to, you know, go against the 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 popular choice right or or if the other people didn't want to speak up if they did not believe in what burgle uh, cut was saying um and and he's there with him to almost to the end until willow's like no this is it's okay to go home now trust me we got this um and, and i really respect that out of, out of a character i i, I think Migosh. i i hope that he's in in the in this in the sequel series it would be a disappointment to me if he does not appear in some way shape or form yeah, no, I, I agree. And then I love that you just keep pointing out there's lots of good messages from this that I think this is why the movie has has the following that it has is that the story is mm-hmm. is timeless and the story does kind of it crosses all kinds of cultural boundaries. Like there's these themes of friendship and loyalty and believing in yourself or they're all there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else on characters that you want to address before we move to the next? No, I think we we've actually touched uh, upon all of them. Um, so that's that's great. We're all, we're thinking on the same wavelengths here. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, Kenny Baker has a small. I d- oh yes. Yeah. I, I always wonder if that's him. I never actually looked it up, and uh, he's in that like band or something like that yep. that's playing at the the High Aldwin uh, Festival. Let's just call it what it is a festival. Yeah. Um, I'm like, oh, it was like Kenny Baker. <laughs> yeah, well, there he is. 
so Hero's Journey, I think we talked about quite a bit. I don't know if there's anything we haven't talked about with that. It definitely fits the pattern. It's very oh, intentionally it's, it's so. Certainly Joe Joe Campbell to a <laughs> to a T. Uh from literally from accepting of the call and all that stuff right back yeah. down to the coming back home. It's it's all of it in one nutshell. It's the full circle. Yeah. And we even have kind of the sidelining of, of Finn Rizal. So she doesn't die, but she's the separation. So he has to stand mm-hmm. on his own. So you have that. And of course the return home and all of yep. those things. All there. And then we'll get to see uh, potentially, you know, how it happens again, become a, a new mentor to the next generation. That yeah. seems to be the way we're going. He's going to pass on what he's learned. There you go. Uh, for world building. I mean, I just had that this just feels like a fully realized world. It builds on established motifs and archetypes, but. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's all there yet. This is such a tip of the iceberg world, right? You're literally dropped into a world that is fully established. But as an audience member, we know next to nothing. Even after you watch the full two hours of this movie, you're like, what if they went left? <laughs> Where <laughs> do they go? Where yeah. do they go next? Like, um, is is there another village down there that has an evil queen too? What's the deal with this magic? Are there other brownies? Like, we literally just saw a troll fall into water and rise up as like a two headed dragon type thing. Like how did that work? (laughs) How does any of this work? Like there's so much to, to learn about this, this world and even the culture of all these, these groups, right? The Nelwins are, are certainly a group to, to explore further and their uh, culture and background and customs, the Daikini themselves. I mean, I'm sure there are certainly hundreds of warring tribes across the plains here of uh, mother worlds. Like, I'm sure there's islands too with other creatures and all that stuff. So, I mean, I would love to know what the sequels would have been if Willow was like a big blockbuster box office success, right? If if that were the case, right? 1988 is like the top film of the year, top film, one of the top films of the 80s, right? Destined to get a sequel. What would the what would the next film have been, right? It leads to the potential for many sequels down the line, similar to a Star Wars. It's so much like a new hope in many ways. But unlike a new hope, um, your main villains are gone <laughs> in a way. General Kale and uh, Bab Morda are both are both out of the picture, as far as I understand. Um, it's not like Vader is is flying away off into space and then the Empire comes and strikes back, right? It's just where do they go after this? And and hopefully we're going to get a lot more of that understood in in um, in the sequel series. The big takeaway from the trailers that I get from that each time is uh, Willow says into into the unknown. That's where we must go. And frankly, as an audience, that's like speaking right to us. Like we're all going into the unknown here. We only know maybe one percent of this entire universe. <laughs> yeah. Like sky's the limit as far as we could go in terms of, of what all this is. But like there's a strong foundation of, of the rules of this world set up, though. So, um, you know, I feel like uh, I'm 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 grounded enough in it to have an understanding of the key players and all that stuff. But bring it on. Bring on some weird stuff. Let's see it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say about that, too. I want to see how the show's going to build on that. So uh, final thoughts, Anthony, on on Willow. Um, some final thoughts. I love the crawl in the beginning. I don't know if we, we didn't touch upon that yet, but I just love how it's quick and to the point and it's like title card sequences. Um, that really just sets you in a place in time and tells you exactly what you need to know. Queen's badge is killing babies. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. 
it's, it's similar to what uh, will later be done in Solo, a Star Wars story with uh, the, the, crawl, uh, the crawl there, which is also quick and to the point. Um, but overall, this, this film is, I, I think what really stands the test of time to me, again, is exactly what we've talked about. It's these major themes of self-confidence, believing in yourself, believing in your friends, very similar to what you get from Star Wars. So this is almost Star Wars in a high fantasy High fantasy realm. I mean, it's, of course, Star Wars, as Lucas would say, is space fantasy. <laughs> so this is uh, more swords and, and and shields versus lightsabers and the Force. Um, so you get those aspects. So it's it's approaching it from a different angle here, and I, I like really what Willow does overall because it kind of completes this trilogy, if you will, of like things that Lucas touched upon for these action serial adventures that he was such a big fan of as a kid. So you've got your sci-fi or space fantasy in Star Wars. You've got certainly Flash, uh, not Flash Gordon, but like your your 30s B-movie action adventure serials in, in Indiana Jones. And now you have the high fantasy aspect of it in, in Willow. So you've really touched upon these three major genres that get to this point of, uh, of what a... of what these films are supposed to do, which is be a moral guidance point for 12 year olds on the precipice of going out into the real world, right? That's what he made star Wars for. It's what he made Indiana Jones for. It's what he made Willow for. Clearly it's, it's for these 12 year olds that are, are about to go out into the world. And and these are the important themes that, that he thinks that they should know as, as they're heading out into the world. So it's interesting to hear that you were actually the, the target demographic for <laughs> this when you saw it in, yeah. in theaters. Uh, I'd love to know if, if you, feel comfortable sharing a bit more about it, if it impacted you at all uh, uh, as you left the theater and then went out on your journey as a, as a 12 year old on, on uh, heading down your first steps. <laughs> well, you know, the thing about this and it's, this film has kind of, it kind of disappeared for a while. Yeah, it actually kind of did. <laughs> and, and that's the thing that I think is most interesting about this is that, you know, one, one thing I had noticed uh, noted down too, is that it was nominated for sound effects, editing and visual effects and then lost both of those to Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. which was also done by Industrial Light and Magic. So it's yeah. always kind of been, you know, always a bridesmaid. Forgotten, right? Yeah. It's kind of always <laughs> been that <clears throat> in a way, you know? Um, and it's interesting that you brought up, uh, you brought up Solo, which of course Ron Howard directed, and that's kind of his return to Lucasfilm, right? And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, watching Solo, especially the beginning um, with the white worms and whatnot, of like, this feels like an 80s fantasy movie. This feels like oh, yeah. Willow oh, yeah. to me. So it's like Willow has done all of this groundwork and never quite had its moment in the sun. And hopefully now it will. And I think a lot of people are going to go back and revisit it because of the new series on Disney plus. Absolutely. Yeah. But this is always going to, it's always kind of had, it's had a soft spot in my heart because of the pedigree, obviously the the Mm -hmm. pedigree. And and I love Val Kilmer always liked him and it's hard not to love Warwick Davis. Absolutely. It's easy, you know, easy, easily a character that you want to root for. He He's great. But I think it just, the fact that it kind of just disappeared after it came out, you know, not being available, readily available. It wasn't being played on TV. It wasn't, you know, VHS was hard to get, wasn't on DVD for the longest time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I've only kind of just recently come back to it. So it kind of, van- it kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit for me. Yeah. Yeah. To be perfectly that, honest. In a way, that's 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 sad because uh, it's it's a great movie. It shouldn't yeah. be uh, put to 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 the back burner as it has been for for so long. Like yeah. there was, uh, it's just unfortunate. <laughs> that's all. That's all I gotta say. It's, it's 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 such a treasure that was just lost for for so long. 
Yeah. But it's that. back now, Anthony. That's it's back. It's back. Yeah. Uh, I am. I'm so thrilled for the chance that we get to see uh, a sequel in this series. And I think the team behind it is really um, passionate about it, too. Um, yeah. So it, it's far like Ron Howard, I believe, is an executive producer. Um, John Kasdan, of course, who wrote co-wrote Solo with his dad, was also a, a kid of the 80s and saw film, saw Willow. And that was his Star Wars in a way. Um, so like. This has literally been percolating in the back of his mind for all these years is what happens next. And uh, I'm very excited to see what what happens with that. And I hope that it's super successful and we get many seasons uh, beyond uh, of of Willow as as we move forward into this really resurgence of high fantasy and, and, and pop culture and all that stuff like this is really especially the last like four or five months um, mm-hmm. there. Every streaming platform is throwing something high fantasy against the wall and seeing what sticks, <laughs> uh, you know, rings of power, of course, on Amazon, uh, house of the dragon, uh, um, on HBO max. And then now Disney's trying their hand at it with Willow. Yeah. And it's nice that the timing works out where it's not directly competing with those other two shows either. So Absolutely. hopefully the audiences that were interested in those, in those shows that, you know, now that they've got their fill of that, now they want their next fix of high fantasy. Well, here comes Willow. Absolutely. I did want to pick your brain. I had a question that uh, was, was I've been thinking about this uh, for the last couple of weeks here and it's what do you, so clearly the, the, the parallels between this and star Wars uh, in terms of story structure and all that are, are there. So star Wars hits in 77 and it's a massive success, right? Willow hits in 88 and it just seems that it, Wrong place, wrong time, right? Does yeah. if Willow hits in '77, is it the massive hit that Star Wars would have been too? Um, you know, because of course Star Wars comes out of uh, a post Vietnam era, post Watergate. Like that's exactly what the country needed, right time, right place. Was Willow just too late for for its own good <laughs> in terms of the zeitgeist? You know, I think that might be some of it. I also think that for better or for worse, it suffers from the Star Wars comparisons. Mm, yeah, I think you're probably right on that one. Because too. you're like, and, and it's, and I hate to say it this way, but it's not as good as Star Wars and it's not <laughs> as good as Indiana Jones. <laughs> yep. And so when you're, when you, and we, it's unfair, it's an unfair comparison, mm-hmm. but you make it anyway. You're like, it's, you're going to have to. It's Indy, yeah. it's Willow. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's going to be number three. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it, it's fine on its own. And I do think that that's an inter- that's a really interesting question. Had this come out in the late seventies, even without the morphing technology, because basically with the blue screen stuff was, that's right there too. Cause they're, yeah, you they, they could have Superman, figured it out. Trust Superman me. It's right there too with green screen. So I saw all those it, ILM most, people working at that studio in Van Nuys. They had figured it out. <laughs> they had figured something out. And I think, yeah, I think that when you hit, you know, the amount of hope that themes, the universal themes that you talked about that, yes, it could have been a massive Massive hit. And that was, you know, in the early 80s, we had a lot of fantasy there too mm-hmm. with Dragon Slayer. And, yeah, yeah, Dragon, of course. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, even through the, the mid 80s, like with Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and those things too. But this is this is so late, right? It is. It's 19. You might have just so missed 80. the curve a little bit. <laughs> I feel like it had a little it's bit. It's like right? those late 80s hair metal bands that just you know, never <laughs> got one hit single in there and then it fizzled out your Nelsons, your firehouses. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Grunge was so. grunge was just around the corner. It, it was too late for them. <laughs> yeah, I think so. 
I think so. So uh, before we get out of here, Anthony, I want to give you an opportunity to go ahead and plug what you got going on with Force Ghost Conversations. Anything else you, you want to mention? Absolutely. Yeah. So I uh, am my regular podcasting gig. I am the host of Force Ghost Conversations. It is your cozy home for deep dive discussions into all things Star Wars. And now that Willow is here, we're certainly going to be diving deep into each and every episode of Willow. So if you're a fan of what we talked about here today, we're certainly going to be doing that each and every week on our podcast. And you can find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, basically any place you can find a podcast. We will be there in some way, shape, or form. You can also interact with us on all of our social media channels. We're on Twitter, Hive, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Just search Force Ghost Conversations, and we'll be there in some capacity, and we'd love to chat with you. Awesome. And we'll have some links uh, for you in the show notes as well. And as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend about us. And one last thing, our next episode will be a review of James Cameron's Avatar. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Avatar, and we'll share it on the next episode. <laughs>